Welcome to Cap City Offers Podcast, episode 142. You got Chris and Brian, and today we're going to talk about the fundamentals of shooting, meaning things like grip, stance, side alignment, and trigger pull. Um, guys, before we get into that, I want to run through just a quick state of the industry. Uh, we've had a lot of folks show up in the shop over the last couple of weeks um, and be and kind of be shocked again at the fact that ammo um, has not been as available as it was a few months ago or a couple months ago, even a couple weeks ago. Um, in case nobody's paying attention, um, the beloved houseplant in chief, um, go Brandon. Yeah. Uh, the beloved houseplant in chief has figured, uh, decided that he would ban the import of Russian ammo. Uh, we've had a lot of folks respond with, well, I don't shoot that steel case crap. And it's kind of like, well, that's fine. Um, but the bubbas who do shoot that steel case crap, myself included when it's cheap, um, it, are, are going to be buying up your brass case copper jacketed ammo. Um, by the way, I've had more squibs with Winchester White Box in the last five years and seen more squibs and problems with Winchester White Box in the last five years than I have with crappy Russian ammo. Uh, do with that what you will. So anyway, uh, that's a third of the ammo imported market, maybe actually a little more than a third, maybe chasing up to 40% of the ammo sold in the United States of America, depending on whose numbers you look at, uh, is crappy Russian steel cased or other ammo. Um, don't, don't worry. It'll be a short term thing. It'll be a year or so before the Russians start having other people as proxies as they do for everything else, package yeah. their ammo for them and ship it into the U S under a different name. Um, but in the interim for right now, we're already seeing ammo prices push back up. Um, some of the local monster stores that move a ton of guns are pushing $27 ish a box for nine millimeter again, even though they were down to 22, 23. Uh, we're, we're seeing multiple dollars per box increases on inventory inbound, uh, and we're having to scrap again for that inbound inventory in common calibers, 9, 40, 45, 223, 5, 5, 6. Uh, 22LR has gone away again. Haven't seen 22LR, yeah. so be aware of that. Um, curiously enough, even though rifles aren't necessarily moving, availability of rifles is still fairly tough. Um, especially good quality guns. Uh, they're, they're trickling in, so if there's something you're looking for, give us a yell. Um, Daniel Defense, Bravo Company, LWRC, Barrett, Knights, um, you know, some of the better manufacturers out there. A lot of the stuff from CZ, um, really still tough to get a hold of. IWI guns, tough to get a hold of. Um, but they are moving a little bit if you got some time. So let, let us know if there's something we can chase down. Um, Defensive shotguns. I don't know what happened. Maybe Mossberg caught up or maybe we just got lucky. Uh, but we, we've seen some Mossberg movement, mostly the shockwave stuff, which I, I'm not a huge fan of the shockwave as a tool. Um, again, it's one of those things that probably needs to go back to Harbor Freight or get modified. Uh, we have seen a couple of 500, 590 system guns come and go, um, which are the first ones we've seen in well over a year. So maybe that market is equalizing or people are just calming down. I'm not sure. Um, and then going into hunting guns and stuff like that, uh, still not seeing a whole lot of hunting guns out there. A couple combos from Mossberg that you might use, you know, deer bird combos or 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 bird home defense combos, as it yeah. were. Um, so it, it's it, even though things are, I, I wouldn't say things have gone anywhere near normal, but they've definitely kind of settled down a little bit. It's not quite as manic as it has been for the last year and a half. Uh, but stuff's still tough to get, but especially ammo. Um, if you've got someplace that you're finding ammo for a good price, uh, buy all of it that they'll let you buy uh, because you're going to see it go back up again. Um, additionally, uh, some new new tactical gears, new nylon, nylon stuff floating around. Um, stop in and check that out. Uh, I know we talked about HRT. 
um, in our Winter is Coming podcast. Uh, there's some great products uh, for winter and for plate carriers for tactical use and stuff like that from them in the shop. So stop by and see us there. Uh, other than that, uh, it, it still sucks. Uh, yeah. Availability of this, that, and the other still sucks. Um, optics are a little bit better. Our optic selection's caught back up too. Um, but some of the hot stuff from Holosun, from Trijicon, etc., like the HDs, are still tough to get. Anything from Holosun that's a higher end product, five twelve, uh, the new AEMS, we've got them, but they're a little tough to chase down at times. So, um, you know, on that, let us know. Maybe we can get them and, and we can chase it down for you. So, yeah. yeah. So there's a quick rundown. Uh, if you got specific questions about state of the industry stuff, you know, stop by or give us a call. Uh, we're always happy to kind of let you know what's going on with a specific product. Um, you know, whatever way is most convenient for you. So, yeah. Cool. Uh, also, on new products we picked up, we have the stuff from Valhalla Tactical. Yep. So we have their adjustable offset optic mount. The Ruck R U K H something, something like, like that. that. Yeah, yeah. The Ruck the Ruck, but it's R U K H because again, you know, Norse cool Viking shit names and yeah. stuff. Yeah. Uh, but it, it it is a titanium <clears throat> mount. Um, allows you to rotate your optic to where it works best for you. Um, really cool product. And then we also have their uh, the tube tube style replacements for the RAIN and XL and the um, Surefire the M300 Scout. Yep, um, it gets the light tucked really really tight um, up to the gun uh, because that tube is part of the mount. Absolutely, another really cool system. Yeah, and 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 also you know, um, and and not that you know we've seen any issues with any of the mounting systems out there for the lights. Most of what we sell is stuff like from Impact Weapon Components or from Arasaka or from Rain themselves. Um, you know, and those are all good quality products. But the stuff from Valhalla just really tucks it in tight and eliminates a couple of screws, which I think is always a good thing. Yeah. So so kind of some interesting stuff Valhalla's doing. Um, they're also one of those companies that's kind of chosen their lane. They do some very specific things and don't try and be a jack of all trades, but the stuff they do, they do very well. Uh, and in addition to that ruck mount, one of the things we ran into a number of guys putting 45 degree offset mounts on scopes, like for example, Trichicon Credos, uh, some of the night force stuff, some of the higher end, uh, stuff from Leupold have huge adjustment knobs. Um, and so getting the optic outside of that. This lets you put the optic exactly where you want it. So if you want a little, if you want full clearance and don't want anything in your field of view other than you know downrange, or if you want to tuck it in next to a, a knob or something like that, you yeah. can do that too. Uh, pretty cool setup, um, and like Brian said, titanium weighs next to nothing, super durable. Uh, pretty cool setup. So yeah. So like I said, if you're in the area, stop by. If you got questions, give us a call. No big deal. Uh, please be aware that via social media, um, don't ping us with questions on social because I'm the one that's likely answering the questions and Brian's the one that's likely looking at social media um, yeah. while he's actually at a real job. So, uh, so yeah, so <laughs> g give us a call or something like that or stop by. Um, unfortunately, it, it, the, I'm not technologically astute enough to do that. Sorry. Yeah, electrons are slowing down as we do this. <laughs> uh, cool. So, uh, fundamentals, guys. This is going to be kind. Of, I'm going to say real quickly, just a just a, a reminder, a brief overview, because it's something that's that's popped back up, and it and it should pop back up on a regular basis. Um, that's going to be focused toward handgun shooting, but but we'll you know you can bleed the conversation over into rifles as well. Fundies or fundies or fundies or fundies or fundies. Um, so we're going to go from there. Yeah. Uh, starting with grip, um, you know, one of the things that we've worked on with a lot of the predictive uh, shooting uh, versus reactive shooting stuff we've done here recently, or what I would call like point shooting, um, and, and, some of the, and this has popped up a number of different places, but for us running some of these drills from Ben Stoger and Joel Park uh, from the 
Practical shooting training. There you go. Uh, practical shooting training book. Um, it's it, your ability to shoot predictively is predicated on body position and grip. Um, prime, you know, as as a big part of that conversation. Um, and so, you know, re revisiting what does the perfect grip look like on the gun. Um, and in the book, and probably online, some different places, uh, Ben Stoger breaks this down to the nth degree. Yeah. Um, you know, so so setting up that grip. Um, I, I have a, a a relative and friend, um, part of the tribe who recently went through a class with Scott Jedlinski, Modern Samurai Project. Um, not not a new shooter, but also not a professional shooter until recently. Um, got you know in, in the law enforcement end of things. Um, went through this class, and one of the things that he didn't realize he was missing that I really didn't think to really beat on him with was you know that perfect grip from the holster is going to define what you can do fast, especially at close range. Um, and so, you know, that's popped up a number of different places. So stepping out there and working on, you know, you can get into the 60, 40, 70, 30, this much of this, this much of that, this, that, and the other. But I'm going to say, get your primary hand, whether you call it strong hand, whether you call your primary hand, whatever you want to call so it. The hand that runs the trigger. The hand that runs the trigger. Get it as high on the gun as possible. Um, get a good firm grip on the gun. Get it lined up musculoskeletally the best way you can, and in theory, that's going to be kind of in line with the bone structure of your forearm. Um, and then you're wrapping your offhand, um, you know, weak hand. I don't care what you call the, it. The hand that doesn't the, run the trigger. The other hand, the hand that doesn't run the trigger. You're wrapping that around as high as you can get it too, and tucking that thumb up against the side of the gun, driving hard into the gun, and 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 squeezing the shit out of it with that with that other hand that doesn't run the trigger hand. Um, there, there's a lot of places you can go to see this broken down. You know, I'm old enough to remember like Travis Haley breaking this down in the old Magpul videos. Um, and I, and that's kind of, that's kind of where I go from. And I don't think a whole lot's changed. Um, other than just making sure you're on the gun and getting as much contact with the gun as possible. There's a million different ways to describe it. Um, but you know, go out there and find some of these rabbis online and look and see what they're showing you from a video perspective. Um, and I'm guessing they probably break that down fairly well in the book additionally, um, yeah, there's there's a decent amount um, in practical shooting training that talks about grip. Yeah. Um, also, practical shooting after dark. I have no idea which podcast it is because I've yeah. just kind of run through a lot of them. Yeah. Um, but Ben Stoger and Once at Kim, um, especially those two guys, spend a lot of time talking about grip. Yep. On various episodes, um, if you have time to think about percentages, you are taking too long. Yeah. Uh, it's yeah. a firm grip with that strong side hand, yeah. and you just crush. Crush the gun. Try to try to break the gun. You're squeezing it so hard with the support side hand. Absolutely, and and guess part of the reason for that is that if you are if you are squeezing the living crap out of the gun with the with the hand that you're driving the trigger, you're probably not running the trigger as well as you could be um, because you've got those muscles and tendons and stuff locked up fairly well. Versus your hand that you're not running the trigger with, you're not worried about doing anything as a as a more of a fine motor skill conversation with it. It, you know, it's part of the reason that you want to, you know, split that whatever way you look at it. But I would agree that if you're thinking about, you know, am I 70-30 or am I 60-40 versus can I drive the trigger fast with this hand? Can I squeeze the hell out of the gun and keep it from moving with the other hand? Um, you know, and, and I, I, we, we joke in the shop a lot about, you know, grip and stance, grip and stance, grip and stance. Um, grip, grip really comes in from a non-sighted fire perspective. Grip really comes in, you know, at, at there it's, it's absolutely critical that you're consistent in your grip and that you drive the gun. 
And on the first shot, grip's not super critical, but on the rest of the shots, it absolutely is. So, you know, that's where grip matters. So, you know, we joke that, you know, all the NRA instructors, grip and stance, grip and stance, grip and stance, but I can hold the gun upside down in my left hand and fire it with my pinky and still hit the middle of the target. So we'll talk about slide alignment trigger press here in a minute. Um, but that kinesthetic shooting ability or that predictive shooting ability or point shooting or musculoskeletal memory shooting, whatever you want to call it, um, all require you to have a good grip on the gun. And so own it. Yeah. The other, the really important thing with the grip is it returns the gun to the same place after you yep. shoot. Yeah. Um, and if you want to shoot a string of fire at the same place, um, yep. your grip is absolutely critical. Absolutely. And, and a string of fire can be a hammer. It can be a double. It can be two shots um, or a whole bunch more as may be required. And that's where it's critical. So um, leads us to. Uh, yes. Number stance. two, stance. Um, you know, again, we talk about stance. The bad guy gets a vote. The situation dictates, um, you know, whose fight are you in? If you, if it's not, it may not start off as your fight. It may start off as someone else's and you have to make it yours. So you may not be in the perfect shooting stance, but if you can be, um, you know, your feet generally pointed to the target, your feet generally shoulder width apart, um, your feet generally toe to heel or somewhere in that range, um, you know, favoring, uh, your, your strong side or, or gun hand side a little bit to the rear, um, toe to heel. Um, your, your, you know, again, uh, 80% of your body weight should be on your toes. Well, how about this? You should be able to move quickly and you generally can't move quickly off your heels. So however much of your athleticness you need to put over your toes and the balls of your feet to be able to move quickly, knees slightly bent, bent forward a little bit at the hips. Um, you know, the upper body needs to be positioned toward the target, hips positioned toward the target. Um, and, and then, you know, if, if the modern isosceles is going to kind of put both shoulders in the same place, both hands in the same place, both elbows in the same place in relationship to the target laterally off that center axis. Um, but there's a, a conversation, you know, if you shoot weaver, I don't care, figure it out, do whatever it is you do, but generally facing toward the target in that position with, with an ability to move with your lower body, with an ability to pivot your upper body where it may need to go off the target. Um, but athletic in your stance and your ability to move is probably the key here because that's going to also help you control recoil. Um, and a gunfight's a dynamic event. Shoot, move, communicate. Uh, move is the second thing. If you're standing there in a target shooter's stance and you can't move, that doesn't help you. It more than likely won't help you. So yeah. um, this can be broken down a whole lot further. Um, you know, uh, Mike Pannone, I think you said, does a lot of stuff on his website. Um, it, it, it just it just matters to get in that good solid shooting position squared up with the target and then pivot to other targets if necessary and then if something's outside of the range of where you can pivot then go from there um understand that your stance as well can be a mobile thing if you are moving laterally to the target across the range or across the fight you may need to pivot that upper body toward the target and do your thing that's still the upper half of your body still has to have its ability to work within a dynamic stance, which is the moving part of that. And that's something you should train to as well, to some extent. Um, not, you know, everybody's, you know, there's a lot of varying schools of thought. Folks kind of go a little crazy on, well, you need to move and then shoot. And then that's cool, but it also is distance dependent. If you're yeah. very, very close to a bad guy, um, you know, your ability to be precise may be way less necessary if you're five or six or eight feet from somebody than if you're, you know, 10 yards from somebody. So, uh, do you want to break down stance? Do you have any or, or add to that? Yeah, one of the, the key um, things for getting your weight shifted forward, think about getting your nose over your toes. Yes, um, yes. That's a really, really quick, uh, again, emphasis on quick, but, yeah. um, 
you know, be able to, to get where you need to be yeah. right now. Uh, also being able to practice kind of decelerating into a proper shooting stance. Yep. So if we are moving and we need to post up and take a shot from a static position, being able to get into that shooting stance immediately, you know, yeah. from a, from a quick sprint, um, gets to be important. Uh, whether you're chasing points or I'm coming into cover, I've got the shot. I need to take it. Yeah. But I can't miss on it either. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's it's really easy, I think, to overthink stance yep. a lot of times. Yeah. Uh, but being able to, to practice, you know, every time you do step up to the line to shoot, uh, there's an opportunity to get into the correct stance. So use that opportunity. Absolutely. Uh, you know, a good ready position should translate immediately into a shooting stance. Uh, so think about it from that perspective, too. If yeah. you're just standing around looking bored at Bed Bath & Beyond, uh, you should ideally be in your shooting stance uh, ready to go and look forward to doing it because yeah. it feels natural. Uh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I and mean, that's the hand in the pocket, thumbs hooked out, ready to go. Um, Brian stance, you know. So and it, and it works. I mean, right? And, and it's and it's not something that's it's non-threatening. Yeah. It you know it, lo- it looks a lot like a law enforcement interview stance, but a little more relaxed than that even. Um, the other thing I'll say with the stance too, um, you know, if you're in the right stance and your nose is over your toes, it's easy to drop your weight. Um, on one knee or the other and bend one knee, lower your center of gravity and move out of that position mm-hmm. um, to get started moving as, and, and then get quickly back into it. So um, also, guys, you know, we call it the shooting sports. Um, it is an athletic endeavor. Uh, so, you know, being strong, uh, being, being the supple leopard, uh, being able to move quickly, um, you know, and the sprint thing, you know, most of you without spending serious time training aren't going to probably sprint any faster than you sprint right now. Um, but, but getting into motion and getting stopped are athletic endeavors. Um, and that's that where it's where it does matter to do some strength training, some mobility training, um, and to be in decent shape. So that's part of it. So, um, yeah, yeah well, uh, a couple more points on yeah. the stance. Yep. Um, hip alignment is really critical. Yep. So we want to use our hips oriented towards the target. Um, your hips translate where your upper body's at and take out a lot of tension from twisting, um, that you'd otherwise have to generate through your core. Yes. Uh, so if we can get our hips oriented to the target, we're able to keep the rest of the upper body a lot more relaxed. And then be able to aim our hips um, translates into both if we're shooting off a kneeling position, uh, we want our hips oriented at the target. And then this stance, too, just translates right into a modern rifle shooting stance. Absolutely. And you, you, why, why do we need to be relaxed with our upper body? Because we have extra tension. It hurts. It Prevents us from breathing properly. Yep. One, um, if we're not breathing properly, we're not thinking properly. Yep. Um, we're also probably bouncing around with our arms, which makes it harder to aim the sights. Yep. Uh, and then it's just a lot harder to stay there for a, a considerable amount of time, which we may need to do. Yeah. And if you can keep your upper body relaxed too, um, you notice the top level shooters in the world, all most of them shoot from a bent elbow stance. Um, they are not doing what's being trained in defensive and law enforcement circles. Um, the turtle up where your shoulders are up at your ears, um, your arms or your elbows are locked out completely, um, your thumbs are rolled in as far as you can get them rolled in because it shuts that shoulder joint and blah, 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 blah. All those things sound really good, um, but they kind of make up for an inability to do some other things. Uh, and they take away from your, like you said, to maintain relaxation, maintain breathing, maintain blood flow. Um, all those things are like that, that like gasp response well, you're going to do it anyway, so let's just go ahead and train to it as opposed to not, as opposed to let's train to try and get you in a position where you can maintain your ability to breathe, 
flex a little bit, absorb some recoil, and make faster follow-up shots, and transition target to target, and do all those different things. Um, you know, shoot, move, communicate. If you're not breathing, you can't communicate, um, and you probably yeah. won't do much else for long either. So, um, anything else on stance? Yeah, okay. it's important. Yeah, it's, <laughs> yeah. It, it, if, if you can use it, use it, right? I mean, yeah. um, McPhee also, uh, we, we'll talk about uh, McPhee a little bit here and some of that stuff too. Um, Sheriff of Baghdad, John McPhee, uh, former Delta dude, um, a talks, a, a talks breaks down that stance, kind of what we were talking about. Uh, good resource there for the shoulder width apart. Uh, he was probably the nose over toes guy at some point, yeah. along with Panone and those different, all those dudes that came out of that like Army SF world. Yeah, so. if you go way back on um, Strek's Instagram, he he did post up some of the video diagnostic stuff he's done. Yeah, yeah, um, and it's really interesting to watch how he kind of diagnoses and sort of corrects with uh, Coach's eye. Yep, some of the shooting stuff. So you got to go back a couple of years, but it's out there. You yep. just got to look for it. Yeah. So um, side alignment. Uh, we talked a lot about side alignment in the last few podcasts, um, going from not. You know, not, not focusing on the sights, but being, you know, again, that that reactive shooting versus predictive shooting. Um, you know, so side alignment, guys, is is a pretty fundamental thing. There's 11 billion places you can go for it. Um, the only thing I would tell you that you want to chase down or make a decision on, and it may be based on your equipment or what you were taught. Um, if you're running a, a high-vis front sight, are you using the high-vis dot on the front sight? And I'll use the Glock dot. Uh, and then the Glock rear U-notch as an example. Uh, or if you go to Trichcon HDs or Ameriglows, uh, the Ameriglow hacks and the Ameriglow um, opera, Spartan operators and stuff like that all have that high-vis orange dot. Um, donut of death. Yeah, the, 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 the orange donut of death or ring of death. If you, So if that is your point of aim, point of impact at the appropriate distance, then you're, using, you're lining up the sights the same way, three across, all the same height. Uh, same amount of space between the rear sight and the front sight on both sides of the front sight, um, you know, and then regulating that dot to where you want the bullet to go. Or if you're running a sight where maybe the dots, you're cutting the target, um, you know, cutting the bullet's impact of the target with the top of the front sight, then know that. Use the tippy tip of the front sight. Um, if you're doing something where you're using a, a sight alignment system that puts the bullet on top of the front sight, its impact at a specific distance, um, you know, then use that system, whatever it is, but get to know your gun well enough that A, you know where the bullet's striking in relationship to your sights, and then B, at what distance, because that will change. Um, your trajectory, in theory, is a line, and your uh, sight alignment, in theory, is a line as well, and at some point they intersect, that's your zero. Um, but in front of that and beyond that, the bullet impact may be slightly lower, slightly high. Um, so make sure you learn what that is. And then also understand that that may change with the load you're using. So make sure that you're appropriately aware of that as well. Yeah. Um, so that, that's talking about the mechanics of sight alignment, the use of your sights, and at what distance you need to use your sights. Your sights are still aligned if you're hitting the target, even if you're not bringing the gun all the way up in front of you. Um, so, you know, understanding where you're at in that predictive versus reactive place and, and, you know, you may not need to see your sights for them to actually be aligned, but then you may actually need your sights aligned to hit the target too, depending on what the distance is, what the speed and accuracy requirements are in that conversation. Um, you know, so the sight alignment is a, is a non-negotiable thing because the sights aren't on the target, the bullet won't go there, but it doesn't mean you have to be looking through them necessarily to make that happen. Agreed? Somewhat. 
so to jump back to the mechanical side, um, one of the really important things to find out is what your sights do um, on the particular gun that you're shooting. Uh, and I use as an example putting Glock 43 sights on a Glock 48. Will cause all kinds um, of problems. Cause all kinds of yep. mischief and mayhem and yep. frustration. Um, yep. One of our guys has that set up, and it took him a long time to realize that these sites are not going to these. Even though they're the same sites that were on his 43, uh, point of aim, point of impact is different from yep. what was on the 43 uh, because the 48 is that little bit longer. Yep. And it changes, you know, point of aim, point of impact. So this is one of those things you really have to go out shoot your gun, your sights, ideally, you know, your yeah. carry load or your duty load, and then also, you know, whatever your training ammo is uh, so that you know what's going to happen. Understand the deviations can, if they're different. Can, Absolutely. You can train accordingly. Yeah. Because uh, it, it's exceptionally frustrating to do everything you're supposed to do correctly and then not get the results you're expecting. Yep. Uh, because of the way that the system is mechanically set up. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, and, and I would say that that's, that's a faulty setup. Right. I mean, because we yeah. look at it the same way with some of the larger frame Glocks use a different sight than the smaller frame. Uh, the 940 Glocks use one set of sights and the double stacks and then the large ones use a different set of sights. And it's a longer sight radius, uh, slightly different slide to bore relationship or dovetail yeah. to bore relationship. And yeah, so that's absolutely true. If the gun's not set up properly, you're going to fight it one way or the other. And you're going to have a very narrow window where the gun's actually zeroed versus a little bit wider window if it's zeroed appropriately with the correct sights for it. Yeah. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. Um, so, yeah. So, you know, like I said, guys, there's a lot of that, though, is going out and doing it. If you're not training and you're not going out and getting the rounds down range and confirming all these things, you won't know that. And, and like Brian said, if I'm, I'm, I'm assuming you're talking about a big guy. Yeah. Yeah, he is super frustrated. And then when he realized that was – and this is a dude who shoots very, very well – was really not happy with the gun and then realized that it wasn't the gun, it was the sights. So there's definitely a conversation yeah. there. Um, you know, but again, you know, like I said, the, with the sights, um, if the sights, if, if the proper sights on the proper gun aren't properly aligned, the bullet will not go where you want it to, whether you're looking through them or not. But if the system's set up correctly, then absolutely it will. So that's, yeah. that's an important distinction because we do see guns that show up from the factory with the wrong freaking sights on them. That is a thing, especially with some of these really small guns coming out yeah. now. Uh, they're coming out with the factory's large gun sights in a lot of cases, and they're they're not regulated well. And I think a lot of times the manufacturers just assume most of you don't shoot well enough for it to freaking matter. Um, and and unfortunately, in a lot of cases, they're they're not wrong, and maybe not well enough or not enough to shoot you know well enough to know. So definitely, that's something to to consider. Um, practical shooting after dark podcasts that Brian just mentioned. Um, there's a lot of information on. On, on the use of sites, not just site alignment, but you know what we're alluding to with the use of your sites, where do you need to use your sites versus where do you not need to use your sites, predictive versus reactive or point versus sighted fire or something in between. Um, yeah. and, and so there's a lot of information out there on and those podcasts. To, to jump into the predictive versus reactive, uh, we talk about that. That's on the follow-up shot. Yep. So the, if we're shooting predictively, um, it means we're sending the second round or third round or whatever nth round mm -hmm. um, before we've gotten visual confirmation that the sites have returned to the site picture that we want. Yep. This is somewhat of an advanced shooting skill because it assumes that you have the proper grip and probably the proper stance um, to be able to return the gun to the same place. Yep. Uh, when we're talking about reactive, 
we've confirmed the site picture before we send the subsequent shot. Yeah. Um, that we talk about human reaction time. Human reaction time to a visual stimuli is for most people at least 0.25 seconds. Yep. Um, Formula One drivers to the lights going out is around like 0.2 seconds. Um, and those are the kind of the best guys in the world at doing that kind of stuff. Yep. Um, if you have the proper dripping stance that you are able to visually track your sights um, and actually see your sights the whole time through recoil, um, you gain some time there because uh, again, takes like 0 0.03 seconds or something like that to actually fire, um, cycle the slide and whatnot. Um, so, but you got to be able to track the sights, you know, through recoil. Um, so that's mm -hmm. where, you know, grip and stance make the sight alignment stuff um, a lot easier for the subsequent yeah, shots. It's, it's like it's all related. Yeah. It's like it's all tied together. It's crazy. <laughs> um, so yeah, so, and then, and then there also, you know, the, the completely unsighted fire, like you're drawing on the holster doing a, something stupid like a speed rock or something like that. Again, your sights are lined up if the bullet went where you wanted it to go. So if you just weren't looking through them. So absolutely. And that's a different thing from predictive and reactive to some extent. Yeah. So yeah, thank you for the distinction because um, that was one I wasn't drawing there. So uh, Practical Shooting After Dark podcast, a lot of information on this. Um, um, Matt Prank has got a bunch of stuff. Uh, Matt Prank from X-Ray Alpha. Alpha. Yep. Uh, so yeah, definitely ch you know chase those down. Um, the last thing that we're going to beat on for just a moment is trigger control. Um, again, if you're back to having a proper um, good grip on the gun um, and you generally are mechanically aligned well via your stance or body position, whatever you want to call it, um, it, then in, in your sights are where they're supposed to be, your trigger control becomes significantly less critical and it's inversely proportional to how precise you need the shot to be. So, you know, if you need this bullet to go in the bad guy's right tear duct at 38 feet, um, then your trigger control becomes a little more critical. If, if, you, if you need to hit the bad guy inside that 8-inch minus 0 or that, uh, that A zone or whatever, that 0 down zone mentality, um, especially within 20 feet, if you're doing everything else right, your trigger control becomes dramatically less critical. Uh, even with a striker fired system and some things of that nature, it still comes down to if you're gripping the gun properly, run the sights properly, and, and have good body position, you can mash the crap out of the trigger. Um, I would take you to some videos, that, again, that John McPhee did years ago, uh, where literally as a guy stand up on the line, it's, it's at close distance for certain. It's not a long way away. Um, I want to say these videos were done like five yards. Yeah. Um, he literally takes a socket extension from like a three-eighths or half-inch wrench set and sticks it inside the trigger guard, has the guy hold onto the gun, proper grip, proper stance, and lines up the gun, and he proceeds to just whack the crap out of the trigger three or four times. Then you end up with a fist-size grip. Um, combat effective, not what a bullseye shooter wants to do, but bullseye shooting is a different discipline. Yeah. Um, so if you're doing everything else right, there's a conversation around that. Yes, there is a time and a place for fine trigger control, and where most of us may need to slow things down a little bit just based on our skill level. Um, so understanding where you need to slow things down and, and press the trigger straight to the rear versus where you can grip it and rip it are, are two different things. That's cool. That's the point of getting out and training is learning that continuum, learning what your limits and your skill sets are so that you can apply those appropriately to a, a defensive environment or a competitive environment, whatever the case may be. Um, so understanding that, again, there's a continuum of the necessity of fine use versus coarse use and learn where it is. It's called training.
Yeah, and you know, given the state, as we mentioned, the state of ammo yeah. um, right now in 2021 as we head into 2022, um, you can practice all these things in a dry fire environment too. Yes, yes. Um, and there are some other cheats you can do. Um, there's like, you know, uh, the reset mag for the Glocks if you run a Glock. There's pulling the gun to the wall but not through the wall to practice as multiple shots and things of that nature. There's some ways you can cheat the dry fire um, and not get the bang but still get multiple trigger presses and learn where things are at. Your body will get, uh, you know, if it doesn't already have it, will get a really good idea of hitting that back wall. Another two ounces would have been a bang. Another two ounces would have been a bang. And yeah. You can train in that fashion and get close enough that it's effective training even though it's not a bang and a trigger press. Yeah, you can actually do that um, live fire as well if you're shooting multiple shot strings or multiple shot drills. Uh, when you're using the timer, shoot the first round live, shoot the last round live, yeah, and then use kind of that, call it the dry fire trigger stroke yeah. um, in between. Uh, so you get the same benefit from the training, yeah. or call it 90% of the benefit, yep. um, but you're only shooting two rounds instead of six or eight or whatever the case 12 may be. or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Um, so there's some cheats there for that, for sure. Um, you know, understanding trigger control. I, I know people can explain trigger control to death and having a basic understanding of how your trigger system and your gun works is great. Having a basic understanding of, of how to drive the trigger straight to the rear. A lot of trigger systems hinge, um, but in auto pistols, sometimes it's better to mentally think of it as a piston you're pressing straight to the rear on some of those guns. Whereas like on a revolver, the trigger does hinge and it moves a hell of a long way and it's very, very curved. Might be a little bit different mentality, but the gist of it is you're putting your finger in the proper place on the trigger and you are generally pressing the trigger straight to the rear without disturbing your sight picture. Um, not complicated, but also not easy. You need to practice and learn how to do it. Um, again, Matt Pranka, X-Ray Alpha, a lot of good information out there. Um, there's probably 11 billion dudes that talk about trigger control. Um, the single best way, in my opinion, to learn trigger control is dry fire. Because if you can control the trigger to the rear and the front sight doesn't move and you can do the dime on the front sight or I don't care whatever it is or the or the laser the laser cartridge in the gun and see where the you know the dots going as long as it's accurate in your gun um, and doesn't create bad habits because it's going the wrong place or something like that um, you can use those tools in dry fire if the front sight's not moving and you're not screwing up your sight alignment at all then you're doing a good job and then practice that until you can do it rapidly and consistently um, does amazing things Something else that may help with trigger control with live ammo when you start to get sloppy um, is putting a dummy round in every mag or a dummy round in every five round sequence or something like that randomly. Then as you're pressing the trigger, when it goes click, what did your sights do? Because they shouldn't have done a damn thing. Um, and if they did something other than that, then you're doing it wrong. And it's real easy to get back into doing it wrong with a desire to go fast rather than go right. Yeah. So... Um, again, none of these things is like mega, mega, mega complicated, um, but they all require some baseline knowledge and they all require some practice. Um, the baseline knowledge comes from good instruction. Go seek a good instructor. Um, every once in a while, even those of us who have lots and lots and lots and lots of rounds down range still get off track on the fundamentals and need reminded. Um, a good instructor every year or two, even though you've already got it nailed down, will see stuff that you're not seeing. Having a tribe that you train with will help you square stuff away that you're not seeing too. Or when you're having a problem, you can say, hey, come take a look. Um, build that tribe. Find that instructor. Yeah. Use them. So. Uh, one other kind of easy way to do the, to practice the trigger control stuff, use a double action 
uh, gun. Anything, yeah. To dry fire with. Yes. So be that yeah. a you know a revolver, um, a, a double DASA gun like a Sig two twenty six CZ PO seven PO nine. Yeah. Um, Beretta ninety two. Yeah, old school Smith. Yeah, whatever. old school Smith, whatever. Yep. Um, but that that big heavy double pull will then make striker fire pulls way easier. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Yeah. Cool. Um, guys, fundamentals, fundamentals, fundamentals. You know the the what's what's the the magic is there is no magic. Yeah, be able to execute the fundamentals on demand at speed. There you go. Um, so that's where it's at. Cool. Uh, yeah. And on that note, as we come across cool training things, um, stuff like this. We generally post them up to our social media. You can find us on Facebook and Instagram, um, provided those kind of bastards are competent enough to keep themselves up. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, we, we make jokes at their expense when we're able to. Amen. Uh, we also do an email newsletter once a week. It comes out on Fridays. So you can sign up for that on our website, capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, also on our website, you can find valuable information such as how to do an FFL transfer or how to purchase a suppressor via our storefront over at silencershop.com. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Drop us an email to info at capcityoutfitters.com. Uh, if you got ideas for the podcast or stop in and see us, um, we're in Hillard, Ohio, 4465 Cemetery Road. We're in front of the Aldi's. We're directly next to Louis Fusion Drill. Uh, we're here Tuesday through Saturday, 10 to 5, and we look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for tuning in, guys.